This is episode 23 of the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast with Kathleen Howland. I think that it's always been effective to um, slow down before that expectation comes in, lean forward, use a lot of body language. Your face is full of expectation. So body language being 70 to 74% of all communication, we want to make sure that we're maximizing that. Providing a model at first. I want you to listen to this. Now I want you to do it. Um, that's always really useful. The, um, I think it's wonderful when you change the last word and now you're going to sing something that doesn't belong and that's a way for them. Like, uh, what did I used to do with my daughter was row, row your boat. Life is but a scream. No dream. Oh, dr- okay. Let's let me try that again. Life is but a, all right, there you go. So it's fun to do an expectancy violation with the wrong word. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Coyote, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. This podcast would not be continuing without the support of our listeners. Thank you to all those people who have written reviews on iTunes or left comments on Facebook or Instagram or sent emails or Facebook messages. Your words of support and kindness are so, so appreciated. And also your feedback lets me know what people are looking for what you want to hear more of on the podcast, who you want us to reach out to, all that good stuff. So this week's episode is part two of my conversation with Kathleen Howland. This week we get more into the specifics of what we can be doing in our sessions to incorporate some of the expertise she has, the training she has, how we can be enhancing our sessions in ways that maybe you're already doing and this will give you some Uh, evidence and support behind what you're already doing or maybe some ideas on how to enhance something you're doing or maybe something you've been struggling with. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review on iTunes. Also, join our Facebook group. I've said it in a few episodes, but let that be a safe space for whatever's coming up for you that you'd like to discuss in this episode we mentioned. If you're feeling burnt out, feel free to use our Facebook group as a safe space to find a buddy, express your concerns, find the support to stick with it because we truly have amazing, beautiful jobs uh, and everyone needs some support from time to time. Alrighty, so let's get into this episode with Kathleen Howland.
Some, from your training, your extensive training in speech language pathology, for those of us who don't have that training specifically, what are some aspects of speech language pathology we should be incorporating? Um, some tips you have, advice you have for things that you've seen that you know work that we don't get in our music therapy training alone. Yes. Um, when I've taught music therapy and medicine, there is a whole uh, portion of how to work with SLPs. I think it's important to understand how SLPs are trained. For example, at the master's level, which is the entry level, I was trained in cleft palate, so I could be working on a surgical unit, a craniofacial surgical unit. I was trained in stuttering. I could be specializing in nothing but stuttering. I was trained in swallowing. I could do nothing but swallowing. So there was really little that showed me the underlying universalities within SLP. But in working with SLPs, let me go back to the music therapist, I think that we should have a shared language, and it's their language. We should understand what morphology is, what phonemes are, and all of those aspects that would be covered in an intro to speech therapy class. I think the language of physical therapy, occupational therapy, we need to know the difference between abduction and adduction, that we should be very skilled and the onus is on us. They, I don't see that it would make sense to say to an SLP, I need you to understand the ISO principle or a major seventh chord. That, I think the onus is on us to learn that language so that we can understand them better, but certainly never guide them. You know, I think this is a morphological issue. Have you looked at it that, oh, good Lord, no. <laughs> um, and to understand what tests they use, whether or not we can use any of them that would be available in the manual to understand whether we can give any of those tests. Otherwise, do not, because that's going to be inflammatory. I think it's important to understand... Um, how to write phonetically so we can use that tool to document particularly nonverbal utterances. I think that's very helpful. Then we can keep a phonetic inventory that we generate in music. That may be very different than a phonetic inventory that's generated in speech. I think we should understand what consonant vowel and consonant vowel consonant patterns are so we can use drumming call and response with children who have articulatory problems, for example. The articulatory problems, which is such a big part of who we serve in children and adults, whether it's Down syndrome or autism or anything, we need to understand how those sounds are made and then um, how we can use them with a slower tempo. And then we start to increase the tempo so that we're increasing the challenge on the articulatory system, on the production system. And that's something that we can do beautifully. Um, one thing I think that we want to respect is how natural repetition is in music, but it is not in speech. Repetition in music is natural, but it's not in speech. If I said that a third time, you'd want to slap me. Because repetition is not natural in speech. But in music, the blues is just all repetition. We can do patterns and get them 
to call and respond with us and then make a change to the pattern, are they able to do that? Can we speed it up and challenge that motor system to produce? Can we back it down to give them a break? Can we go back into it again? That's what stroke patients need. Um, it, Parkinson's choirs, all of it. So I know that was a long bit, but I did write chapters on speech-language pathology in the Wheeler Handbook and in the Brucia series. Um, and I'm happy to take any questions that people have um, uh, in the field. So please know that I'm open to that. So that made me think about, I have several clients who are nonverbal. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what we work on, typical music therapy, uh, you you leave the ending note off of a musical phrase, a well-known musical phrase, and you wait for them to fill it, right? With yes. A, a vocalization. violation. Yep. Yeah. How do you prompt that? I think that it's always been effective to um, slow down before that expectation comes in, lean forward, use a lot of body language. Your face is full of expectation. So body language being 70 to 74% of all communication, we want to make sure that we're maximizing that. Providing a model at first. I want you to listen to this. Now I want you to do it. Um, That's always really useful. The, um, I think it's wonderful when you change the last word and now you're going to sing something that doesn't belong. And that's a way for them. Like, uh, what did I used to do with my daughter was row, row your boat. Life is but a scream. No dream. Oh, okay. Let's, let me try that again. Life is but a, all right, there you go. So it's fun to do an expectancy violation with the wrong word. Yeah. Thank you. I also, for those clients or any clients, even just getting a yes, no, building them working towards a place where they can give a yes, no in some way or another. What are some techniques you use as an SLP to encourage those responses? I've not been trained with this as an SLP, but I found it very helpful and very accessible to put one hand out and say, yes, Um, for this and the other hand out for no for that. I have found that across the board, it was accessible versus having to get the notebook, finding the right page, using the device. I've never been a big fan of those devices most of the time because they've been given to people without sufficient cognition to run them. Without, you know, Stephen Hawking is one who had sufficient cognition to run it. But most people didn't do particularly well in it unless their cognition was high. Yeah. Um, now that's been in, they were expensive, uh, tools. So I think that was something of great immediacy. Um, I also have used cards. One was green, one was red. Um, there was with behavioral kids, there was the stoplight. Um, but it could be, I'm thinking maybe even a couple of pitches, but I've always resorted to just those hands. It was accessible. It was, it was quick. And I found a wide variety of people could make good use of that. Awesome. Yeah. Sometimes it's easy to get stuck on the technology. Yep. Yeah. I think it's, it makes sense to us. 
it's sexy, it's fun, it makes sense to us. But without adequate cognition, it's not fully utilized. And frankly, with because people who don't have good language development use behaviors to control their environment. That's one of the biggest misses, I think, in speech language training is that behaviors are oftentimes a communication intention gone awry. Now they're frustrated. Now you've got the tantrum. We deal with it behaviorally. But if you really start to look with the neuropsychologist or the behaviorist and the speech language pathologist, we can sort out whether that truly was a behavior or a communication intention gone awry. So looking at that and also reflect back for people. When you touch my hand, that was the yes hand. So I think you want, so that's yes. Can I just check that again? Check it with the same hand. Check it again with the other hand. Are they actually answering? I want to make sure that's a valid and reliable answer. And I also want to tell them what I understand in the language I think they can understand best. Yeah. Those are great real world examples. Do you have any other real world examples for for things we can do in a session that tie in all your different trainings and all your different knowledge? I think the thing that college teaching has certainly helped me to, and I was given to as a music therapist thoroughly, is attention. Nobody can learn anything until they pay attention. And we have to learn how to read attention. I just got a beautiful book on it, actually. I have a huge Oxford handbook of attention. Um, and the research that goes on. So some of the first, the first signs of attention that you will see in a child is raised eyebrows, a change in their breathing, a stillness in their body. And I was in Virginia last week, and there was a baby that was five months of age, and there were music therapists there, two of them at the piano. And I had this baby, and I said, everybody gather around this baby. Okay, I want you to do an expectancy violation. I want you to do it melodically. I want you to hit a clam, like a really bad note, and see what the baby does. I want you to, and we were looking at her breath rate. We were looking if you do an expectancy violation and say, do you want more? Starting at about five or six months of age, a baby will probably raise their eyebrows. You will also see that on the other end in hospice or in neurogenic care with strokes. If you say that to somebody, you will see their eyebrows go up. So in my classes, I'm always looking for the person that looks the most tired <laughs> I'm watching their eyes. I'm asking, you know, how their night was the night before. What can I do to help them get everything that they deserve out of the class? We may get up and dance. We may watch funny videos. So I think breaks are particularly important in the session. I want to lean into people. I want to back out. I want to really lean into people. It's a lot like doing high intensity interval training, but the right hit for the right person. Um, but I think by focusing on attention, I get better results for memory. Focusing on attention, I get better results for processing. I get better questions from people. So until we pay attention, nothing else can happen. And I, my students will all know 
that they this will be on my tombstone if I have one that attention is the bedrock of all cognition. So until you get somebody to pay attention, you'll get nothing. And in the world of coma interventions, for example, multiple times a day, people will go in and clap loudly, yell somebody's name, um, drop a book to try to create a startle response. And those are the responses that we're looking for. And I think they're trash. Why would you ever uh, sensory overload somebody whose brain is as damaged as a premature baby? We put premature babies now into quieter settings. We don't with people with disorders of consciousness, and yet both brains are operating at very, very low profiles. But if you use music, and you'll see an example of this on Music Therapy Tales under brain injuries, If you use music and start a gentle back and forth pattern and do an expectancy violation, look and see what you get because you'll get attention and you actually will know that that person is not in a vegetative state and therefore may deserve access to treatments uh, versus being institutionalized in a nursing home for the duration. That is, To me, auditory perception can be the distinction in the levels of disorders of consciousness that may allow us to decide who gets the intensive treatment and then how do we parse it with silence? How do we lean into them? How do we back out? How do we get this attention? Because obviously they're quite fragile. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be paying more attention to my body language in sessions now. (laughs) Great. And to your body language and their attention. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So tell us about Music Therapy Tales. You mentioned it. So tell us about what that is. It is the most intriguing story. Um, At quarter to nine one morning, I got a phone call. Um, I was in the classroom getting ready to start. Students were coming in and I took the call. I normally wouldn't disturb my zone, my preparations of just beingness, but I took it and it was somebody from um, the estate of a billionaire who essentially said to me, I'm raising this money through the release of a CD. He's a singer songwriter and he would like to give it to music therapy because the head of this Uh, estate had had a massive stroke and I had served in a consulting capacity to him when he was in post-acute care and all the changes they had seen to him including the first ones in coma all happened to music and this man was so moved he wanted to see if I had any ideas well I had been coaching students for years to always have ideas and I'm sort of laughing And I said, are you interested in research, clinical services, or advocacy? So um, we made an appointment, and I went out to the estate, and we talked about how music therapy is disseminated, how it is understood, how we advocate for it, the kinds of research going on, then showed them the kind of videos that were available, that AMTA had had available, or had been done the age of them, and they said, we'll take the advocacy. 
So even though I don't know how to edit films, um, I'm not that slick with social media. Um, all of this, that's how Music Therapy Tales was born. At the time, we knew that Oliver was dying from the cancer that had recurred with, a, with only a 5% chance that would take our great hero out of the picture. And I was already grieving um, that loss. So I decided to work on telling stories in music therapy or having them told like Oliver told his stories with a sense of humanity, with um, clinical acumen, with scientific reasoning. Um, and so uh, Music Therapy Tales was born. We've had um, our first couple of years sort of learning about the platform, optimizing it. We're getting ready to load dozens and dozens of films. Um, I'd like to be doing more in terms of research, research. And frankly, I'd love to hear from the community how you find these films. Are they helpful? How are you using them? I'd love for you to post either on Music Therapy Tales on Facebook or connect with me through it or my own personal website. I would like this to be my best gift to the generations that will follow me. I would like this to incorporate your work to bring it into the public stream to be used for teaching, to be used in advocacy. My goal always had been that there would be some caregiver in the middle of the night, exhausted from doing this heavy work, who's trolling on the web and finds music therapy tales, finds hope, and then finds information, finds the humanity, finds, finds something that's so plausible, so valid, so reliable. That was the goal of all of it, to honor, to honor Oliver and all things I do and to do the best thing I possibly could for the generations that follow because I want you to, sigh, to soar higher and further than we ever dreamt to go. And that will be the rest of the work of my life. That is a beautiful vision. Thank That's you. That's wonderful. So um, we'll put, can I put your email in the show notes and stuff so that Please people do. can, yeah. So the email will be there. You can check out Music Therapy Tales and let Kathleen know what you think. What do you need? And I will also be the next phase uh, will will have you all submitting your films to a board for consideration to be um, uploaded. And I have a new project that will be announced and I'll announce it through your work as well that I think is pretty exciting, um, to, again, to help advocate within our own communities the wide variety of things that we can do. So there's no end of ideas, but there's an awful shortage of time. So that will be rolling out in the next month or two when the semester gets underway. Awesome. That'll be about when this is coming out too. Oh, episode. marvelous. So Mar if you'd like, we can, we can try and coordinate dates if you'd like. <laughs> that would be great. I'd love to put that on your, on your work. I love that you're doing this podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, Absolutely. I, I definitely want to have another or three more conversations because <laughs> I, I've learned so much. I know I will learn so much more from you. So thank you so much for sharing with our listeners. 
My pleasure. And as I say to my students, everything I've ever learned and ever experienced, I give to you all so that it can help inform uh, where you are. And I hope every senior professional feels that. And I think it is a field where we do honor um, the shoulders upon which we stand and the the grace and openness of giving to one another. And so I've been deeply motivated by that because I have been given generously by my teachers, my senior professionals, Connie Tamino, Donna Chadwick, Karen Wax. They've made me who I am. And so um, that is the gift that we'll keep on giving. Wonderful. Do you have anything else you'd like to add before we move into some rapid fire questions? Oh, yes. I was wondering about that. I do hope the coffee will kick in. (laughs) Um, Do I have any other questions? No, I think I'm too curious about what you're going to ask me next. (laughs) Awesome. All right. So the questions are short. Your answers don't have to be. But I think I know the answer to this first one because you just mentioned it. Coffee or tea? Coffee now, but have always been a tea drinker. When did that change? When I was an invited guest to do a keynote in Rome, Italy, and as a, as a guest, they served you first and nobody ate or drank until you did. So I was okay with the Prosecco. <laughs> I could definitely hold my own, but when they brought the espresso, I didn't know how to say in Italian I, that I was a tea drinker and I'd never want to insult so I started oh. drinking tea in my 50s. I mean, wow. drinking coffee in my 50s. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Early bird or night owl? Oh, damn. I am the worst person in the morning. Night owl. Night owl. Something you would tell your younger self? Keep it simple. Keep it far simpler than you ever thought. Um Yeah, find the grace earlier. Well said. Your music therapy elevator speech. Music is so powerful in the brain. We pay attention to it without even having to think about paying attention to it. And because of that, we can help people leverage it toward other functions. They can walk better to music. They can pay attention better. They can remember things better in music. And I double dog dare you to name me a disability or a disorder that music can't make better. Good one. Your favorite self-care practice? Laughter. Ooh, good. So I have a whole <laughs> folder on my computer, on my hard drive of things that make me laugh. And that's, I always have them available in the classroom too. So Um, If you watch the program from Canada called Just for Laughs, it's all nonverbal. And I've used many of them with nonverbal people, and it helped them generate speech. So I always brought laughter into my work, especially in hospice when it was appropriate. So I had those things available, but nothing beats laughter. And my teacher, Donna Chadwick, had a license plate, I laugh, or in her Boston accent, I laugh for at least 40 years and she taught me well yeah um easily overlooked laughter easily overlooked so when I go to the office in the morning 
my my office mates know, and I try not to be around other people, but instead of grading papers up until the time I have to go to the classroom, I spend that time laughing. And I find I'm better prepared, far more loving, far more open with my students, which is how I choose to be than if I had just been trying to slam and read or grade papers or anything like that. I want to give them my best. I'm not a morning person, so I spend my morning laughing for 10 or 15 minutes before I go in. Wonderful. Good for you. Something that is currently adding value to your life. Being of service to my community here in um, central Massachusetts, I'm trying to work to build sort of a, uh, a sense of affinity. It's where I'm putting my despair about uh, the health of the planet and the polarized conversations. I'm trying to do the bottom-up revolution. So I'm running a series at the library. I'm uh, running a film series at the library on wellness. I'm running a film series on um, disability. Well, it's actually experiencing lived lives through the arts um, in the Unitarian Universalist Church that I attend. So we're looking at the um, experience of African-Americans through the life of um, Harry Belafonte. Um, We are looking at um, disability through a film called, shoot, what is the name of that film? Labeled Disabled, looking at the, what it's like to have aphasia through a film on aphasia, uh, aging through young at heart. And it brings us together. So we'll bring our pillows and dinners and dine together. And so just different ways that bring bring us together. I'm working in history projects. And I just want us to know our neighbors. I do kitchen dance parties in my house, curated lists by a music therapist at 4.30 at night. The text goes out. Anybody interested in dancing for in 15 minutes, come on over you know, before a bottle of wine opens or before we have to get ready to start meals. Let's dance for 20 minutes. That's my preferred practice. Let's do it in community. Let's have fun. I'm moving to your neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wouldn't you be most welcome? Thank you. Oh, I'm just going to come like shadow you for a day. I'm going to come to your classes. I'm going to do a dance party in your in your kitchen. I'll go see a film that you picked out. So if you came to stay with me and you'd be most welcome, I my office is in the guest room and all of my books are here. And I have a great deal of pride in all of the books that are available um, to help me just uh, continue to feed my my passion and curiosity for learning and to be of service. So you dig the books. If you had to pick one, maybe two, to recommend right now to our listeners, what would they do? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Put you on the spot. (laughs) Yes. Well, I keep piles of books. One is called Music Advocacy by John Benham. Anybody, and I think anybody who's a musician or loves music needs to learn to advocate. They just cut the music position at the middle school level in my community by 80%. Wow. So what is the what is the strategy besides being upset, despaired, concerned? 
What are the actual strategies? I think we should all read that. Of course, Oliver Sacks's book, these are for my life as a teacher. Let me also look in front. Anything by Oxford Publishing reigns supreme. Oxford Publishing, Oxford Handbook of Positive Psychology, of Music Psychology, of, and, but I've read so many interesting ones. The Science of When was thoroughly fascinating. Um, I'm looking through my basket. I have a book on why our brains can't manage climate change, and it's because the lack of executive functions to be that forward thinking. Um, I want to read that one because I also am yes. often overwhelmed by the state of our planet. <laughs> it's called Don't Even Think About It, and it's George Marshall. That's another thing that my husband and I do in our community is we run a jazz festival that matches red hot jazz with cool green technology. It's called the Solar Jazz Festival, S-O-U-L-A-R. My penultimate favorite um, book these days and has been for a number of years is Buddha's Brain by Rick Hansen. That it, I, I think that was a life changer for me, and I hope it will be for other people too. I think that that work is stunningly beautiful and has many connections to the music we make. Awesome. All righty. Your favorite intervention or song, I usually say to use in sessions, but I'm going to add to use in a class because it sounds like you incorporate a lot of that into your, your classes as well. Okay, a dance song in class would be Talking Heads, uh, Nothing But Flowers. Um, the, oh, this amazing group, Nate Ratliff in the Night Sweats for dancing. Um, for, con for contemplative practice, it would be Renee Fleming singing Schubert's Nocturne Trom. Um, or... Um, a lot of music by Elgar and Fawn Williams, the Davius and Lazarus uh, variants by Fawn Williams. Favorite intervention, I think that um, the left neglect, <laughs> the left neglect intervention in NMT is so brilliant. And what it teaches us is that if we use another sensory system, we can leverage that sensory system to deal with the disordered sensory system. So when we use music to drive attention, they look to the left. They pick up things on the left. If we tell them to look to the left, they no longer know what the left is. They deny the left. So Lisa Genova wrote a great book called Left Neglected. She's a neuroscientist who writes awesome fiction. But that left neglect training, when that came out, blew my mind. And when um, Brian Harris from MedRhythms and I did Grand Rounds at Spalding, the first person who beat their path up to the podium was an re eye researcher from Mass Eye and Ear. And everybody who comes in with a left neglect diagnosis gets music therapy because it's the only thing that works. Wow. Brilliant. <laughs> 
Brilliant, brilliant. That's my favorite intervention. Favorite song for me, um, I have used over and over both in my own cancer experience um, to thank the people who supported me. I sang at a conference one time, um, uh, but using it with patients was you'll never walk alone. People need to know that you don't walk alone. No matter how bad it seems, you don't walk alone. I think that that's, that was the most important thing that uh, perhaps allowed me to sustain the extensive treatments I got in oncology. Yeah. We could do a whole episode on that. Oh, gosh. I want oh, to be respectful of your time. But, uh, I'd love to be with you. I'd love to have you come and have dinner or go to New Hampshire and have dinner. What you're doing is really special. I'd love for us to be knitted together. So how the direction that you take this um, is everything I can contribute to it and any other connections you would like to have also to reaching some folks. I'm glad to do it, but I just want to honor what you're doing here. Thank you. And thank you for all the work you've put in, your many years of experience sharing what you know teaching the students and, and those people listening. I'm sure there's something in here you learned uh, because that makes all the difference and is why our profession continues to grow and expand. Yeah, and why you can grow your entire career. You know, what other profession does that? My parents were accountants. They graduated in 1957. Nothing has changed with accounting except for technology. <laughs> That, you know, but we're lucky that we are in this fantastic profession in which we can always grow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, and fortunately, also, the people who seem to become music therapists are also the type of people who are always looking for those opportunities to grow. Yeah. You know, we're yeah. just we're a very holistic profession. I love that about about us. <laughs> I think if there was. It concerns me that you said that there was such a high rate of burnout. Um, I'm not aware of what those numbers are, but I would encourage anybody who's considering leaving the profession to contact somebody who's just really, you know, in love with it and and cares to listen and sort that out with somebody. That sounds like an ideal peer supervision moment. Are we not offering that? Are we not... Um, providing that for each other for burnout is in lord if they're that in in that circumstance i think we should even look at some gratis sessions for people who would consider leaving there are only 8000 of us there are like 100 and when was the last time i looked at asha there are 160000 of them we need to hold up each person and help provide them the oxygen that they may need yeah. So I'll throw out, um, if you're looking for some support, if you're feeling the burnout, if you need someone to, to help you see all the wonderful things that you're doing, what's great about our profession, check out our Facebook group, put a post in there. Excellent. Yeah. Find a friend, meet someone, reach out. I had hoped you would do it, but in, but since I don't know you very well, I couldn't volunteer you. <laughs> so that's why I said I will also uh, join in. But thank you for doing that. Of course. Of yeah. course. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, we're all nice people out here. We're all, we're all here to support each other. Yeah. All right. 
Lastly, where can people find you, connect with you, all that good stuff? So Music Therapy Tales has a Facebook page. Um, you're certainly welcome to contact me through email at kmhowland at Boston, bostonmusictherapy.com or khowland at berkeley.edu. And, of course, we like to say it's two E's, not E-Y. Um, <laughs> but um, the, you know, I'm really looking forward to hearing what my colleagues think about the website and the direction it's taken. And um, so that will be good and helpful. And I have my own kathleenhowland.com website for uh, communication as well. And I would also say, if you have, um, to all the listeners, an issue either related to, um, I was asked one time to write something on speech because somebody was having a hard time with a client or a relationship with a, uh, a team. I don't recall what it is, but I wrote a blog in support and then they were able to use that in the meeting. If you have a need and would like me to write to something please absolutely ask me uh, and I will do that. Thank you. That's so, so generous of you. You're so generous with your time and your knowledge and your expertise. And I, I really appreciate that. And I know all the other people you've helped appreciate that. For the listeners who don't know, um, a listener actually reached out to me and said, you should reach out to Kathleen Howland. She's amazing. Blah, 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 blah. And I am so grateful that person wrote in and told me that because this is this is a great a great conversation great network um for me and <laughs> i i know that we will talk again for sure because this is wonderful phenomenal i would look forward to it and i'm so glad i figured out the skype <laughs> <laughs> yeah technology sometimes it's um hadn't used it in a while so it had changed yeah yeah it's great when it works right but it's, oh. it's not so great when it doesn't work <laughs> Exactamundo. Awesome. Well, I'll let you get back to your evening. Thank you so, so much for talking with me. And I will definitely be in touch in the future to It was my honor, Trisha. Yeah, it was absolutely my honor. Thank you so much. You helped prime me and get me psyched for Monday. Oh, good. Okay. (laughs) All right, dear. Take care. Good night. Bye-bye. Wasn't that great? I really wish I had blocked out like five hours of time (laughs) to do this conversation because Kathleen is such a wealth of knowledge and I was not kidding when I said I would like to attend some of her classes not too far from Boston. So I might just, you know, take a little day trip down there and see what knowledge I can gain. So I hope that you learned as much as I did and are excited to see everything coming out on music therapy tales i know that that will be a wonderful resource i think as she envisions for advocacy but also just for sometimes when you're feeling having a rough day feeling those burnout feelings and need some inspiration i think that it will be a great resource for that if you or someone you know wants to be on the podcast, please shoot an email over to feedback at musictherapychronicles.com and we'll get something scheduled. Thank you so much again for listening and I'll see you in the next one.